time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy New Year, GB. Thank you. Happy New Year, guys. Doc? Yeah. We're all back. Back to work. We're back. Back to the microphones. Back. How was the break for everybody? Good. Uh, Good, good. I'm sort of nursing a little little back injury from a ski fall, but uh, it's getting better. Learning learning my limitations now that I've uh, entered into the... 50s decade (laughs) (laughs) so uh, what what exactly happened here you know old man yeah i think it's really just the fact that i have not been you know as good about staying in shape particularly in this last year um i kind of dropped off as far as exercise and um so well, by, bump- by the way, you guys never took me up on the on the turkey trot on Thanksgiving. You guys oh, never went and ran with me. So there now, you go. now's your now big, I'm paying the price. That's a two month old guilt trip price. we're yeah. getting now. <laughs> we're hearing it. See, had you gone running, you might have been in shape for that ski trip. No doubt. But I'm not running now because my back is hurting. <laughs> no, I think basically it was just sort of one of those situations where I I I kind of knew I've been skiing since I was four years old. I was on the ski team in college I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty confident skier um but now that i'm not a confident uh did you get big air you just go <laughs> off of jumps in college no i think it was just the um you know i was oh when i was in college no it was all just kind of uh i was a giant slalom guy yeah so in any event um i was i bumped into um a good friend of mine who actually happens to also be a urologist and and his son and you know trying to keep up and just be you know kind of proud you know showing my my uh skill set a little bit maybe my uh, ego is getting in the way prowess and my prowess and i was um you know by the fourth or fifth run with them and we'd done some of the you know double black diamond runs i could i mean i was I shouldn't even say by the fourth or fifth one. By the second run, I'm like, okay, <laughs> Happens my legs are starting to really hurt. By the way, do you wear a helmet when oh, you yeah. guys skate? Absolutely, yeah. I absolutely wear a helmet. It's amazing how few yeah. people don't now. You see yeah. one guy in a baseball yeah. cap, and that's it. It's kind of surprising. Yeah, it's, great. it's really become ubiquitous, which is great. But in any event, I felt my legs getting rubbery and weaker and weaker, and it crossed my mind more than once as I'm going down and you know, kind of skiing with them. I'm like. Okay, I'm 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 at risk. You know, it's like <laughs> this is when I say in my in my mind, I'm like, this is when you you screw up. You, you, your legs are weak and you have a fall because not because of some technical mistake, but because you're just your legs give out or, or you're you're compensating and taking some of the the you know uh, energy of the impacts from these moguls and stuff in muscles and places that you normally wouldn't because your legs are getting weaker and needless to say i think that's what was happening and so when i took this fall i suddenly felt this kind of not a pop but just sort of a a little twinge of pain it wasn't that bad in my right lower back um kind of right at the top of what we call the iliac crest which is like the top of your pelvis to the side of the spine so not actually in the spine but like maybe 
um, two inches to this to the right of the spine, um, and um, and I thought you know I was like okay this 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 probably isn't too bad, but you know it's like you get nervous now right <laughs> I mean a I'm I'm like in a place in my life where I've got kids um, who are either in college or on the precipice of going to college, you know everything counts in terms of. You know, if I'm out of work, it's a major, major catastrophe, and um, I can't be out of work. And so, I, you know, it's like you get a little nervous. Um, mortality I, sets in. Yeah, it's a, it's a I whole mean, different like, view. It's even, it's, yeah, I mean, not mortality, but just morbidity. But, I mean, just the fact that disabled. I mean, yeah. I think disability sets in. Actually, sometimes I get less concerned about mortality than I do about <laughs> disability. I'm like, if I die, it's you must all have over. a good life insurance policy. It's, it's, it's all <laughs> it, if I die, there's really no, but I, I don't have to worry because I'm dead. <laughs> okay. yeah. But, but if I a, really hurt myself, then I'm going to have to deal with yeah. it. <laughs> no, there's a whole, di a whole different outlook because yeah. when I was younger, you know, you crash on a bike or you hurt your knee or whatever, you know, you're, you're up and around in a, in a, in a day or two. Body does not heal like, like it used to. Yeah, yeah. So in any event... And a, you always end up thinking the worst when, when something that's gets it. injured. You know, did I, do I, is this going to require a procedure? Did I do something surgical? Mm. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, don't get worried about this. You're okay. And the next day I got up and I felt like, you know, it hurt a lot for the first 20 minutes. But then I got back on the mountain because it, it, it felt better. And I was like, what am I going to do? Sit at home all day? I mean, it's fine. So I skied the next day. Maybe arguably I shouldn't have. But I did. You skied with fine. or without your family? The next day with my family. And I did for the next two days. And because um, it was uh, three days of skiing on this trip, that's what we did. I mean, it's amazing, by the way, as an aside, these days, and I, I don't know if you can relate to this, Jay, but when I was a little kid, you know, my, I, like I said, I started when I was four years old. I mean, all chairless held two people. Yeah, and slow. And they were really slow. Now they they hold like you know four even six people. They're super fast, and so there's very few lines. And so like my kids freak out if they have to wait like ten minutes. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? They used to wait forty five. Forty five minutes easily. Yeah. And and so like in a really really crowded day, at least at Mammoth here in California, I mean you might only ski like ten runs the whole day, and that's a that's a pretty intense day. Now it's like you'll ski 10 runs in an hour. I mean, it's so you're definitely getting much more workout exhaustion, the kind of thing. Anyway, so um, by this week, now I'm back. I get back five days ago and I go back to work and it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. And like instead of hurting for the first 20 minutes when I get up, it's hurting for like a couple of hours. And then at night, you know, before I go to bed, I can, it's like I lay down to go to sleep and it's hurting for the first like 40 minutes until I finally get tired enough and mm. I drop off yeah. and I'm getting nervous, you know? So by Thursday morning, it was really hurting me pretty. I mean, like I, it was, I, it's like certain positions of twist or movement would just cause an excruciating, you know, and you're uh, not, you're not taking anything for it. I mean, I'm occasionally taking ibuprofen, and I'm not sure if it's really helping me. And um, so I, I'm, I'm like, should I, should, you know, should I text a, a friend of mine who's an orthopedist or another guy who's a back surgeon, a neurosurgeon who does spine, or should I, you know, send it? So I decide, you know what? What's the point? I'm gonna, I'll send a message to a um, another colleague of mine who's a radiologist. So needless to say, 
he writes back, okay, when do you want to get the MRI? <laughs> I'm like, well, do I really need to get the MRI? And he's like, yes. <laughs> I'm wow. like, okay. So that night I get the MRI. Hmm. And, um, and basically it's, it's what you might expect. I mean, it was nothing catastrophic. I tore some ligaments that sort of insert from the lower part of your back into the top of your hip and right at the capsule of where your hip, it's called the acetabulum, which is like where the, it's like the socket of the ball and socket. Um, so it really wasn't so much, I think my back as much as it was kind of the, the part of the mechanism of the hip where I tore something there. And then there's, they called it a pseudocyst. So it was like something maybe the size of a golf ball. Maybe so what smaller. were you thinking that you thought you needed an MRI? Because you could have just texted me and I could, could have told you, <laughs> you just need rest. <laughs> Dr. I GB. Guess, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess you're right. I mean, it wasn't like I thought I was going to discover something surgical there. But I guess I felt like, well, if this isn't getting better. No, it's, it's peace of mind worse. is really what you're looking yeah. for. It's just like any patient going to the doctor. There's something going on. You want to know what it is, yeah. and then yeah. you can point a finger and pinpoint and say, oh, okay, that's what it is, and then you can explain it away. And, of course, literally like that day, that I, that I right after I texted the radiologist, and he says, get the MRI tonight, over the course of the day, it was feeling better feeling and better, better before yeah. I got the MRI. So at the end of the day, I was telling my partner, I'm like, I'm supposed to get this MRI, but to be honest, I'm feeling so much better. I think I should just cancel. And he's like, no, right. don't cancel it. You know, you're going to just feel so like regretful if you don't just do it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So, and of course, like, you know, it's been fine ever since. I mean, not totally fine. I still feel it right now, but it's, it's 50%. I better. mean, the, the unfortunate reality that is news to nobody is that as we get older, two things happen. One is that you're a little more prone to these things. And That's the second it. thing, and this blows, is that we actually have to get in shape in order to do certain exercises or sports. You know, <laughs> That's really hard to... It really is. Hard but, to... Yeah. You know, you get to the point Swallow. where if you... <laughs> You know, if your back is a little stronger, if you're doing back exercises and stretches and things like that, then when you do go out and play tennis or you're skiing, then you might be a little less likely. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but those basic uh, areas of your body, if you strengthen them a little bit, it helps. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. The, the other thing that I found on those types of injuries, you're almost better off going to like a physical therapist who really understands kinesiology and who understands, you know, how all the muscle movements are and the ligaments, and they could diagnose that as well, mm -hmm. as well as give sort of like a deep tissue massage and mm -hmm. and I don't know what those machines are that that um, that, that that go and uh, uh, promote healing. So that that's also something else mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. uh, to think about what when or if you get injured because typically that's what the orthopedic does they, they, they'll go send you for something a lot of them want to cut or they'll want to give you an injection of course in, in in this case you know just just rest yeah yeah that's definitely been the answer one man and two docs today <laughs> on the, on the episode. so there was something i was reading about um which i thought it was interesting and that something actually this this got coverage all the way through to like Good Morning America. I mean, it became one of those little two-minute stories that I think some producers out there love to put on the local news and elsewhere. But it was, uh, the headline is that testosterone treatment should only be given for sexual dysfunction. This was a new guideline from the FDA. This was not just, you know, one of GB's famous, um, you know, Chinese newspapers that was reporting <laughs> <laughs> reporting a story. Um, but what it, what it said was, and it was, 
I wanted to get, you know, the doc's take on this um, for, you know, there's a number of areas that this starts to uncover, which is one, why are men looking for testosterone treatment to begin with? And then this particular study. So what the study says was um, researchers reviewed 38 random controlled testosterone treatment trials. So there's 38 trials, but it ranged from up to 800 participants each. So the analysis showed that there's no evidence that long-term testosterone treatment improves or damages health. Um, the only benefit is a short-term treatment for men with sexual issues. So basically what they're saying is go ahead and give it for sexual issues, libido, decreasing, and other elements related to that. But other than that, they're basically saying, if I read it right, don't, don't prescribe testosterone treatment because a lot of men were were asking for it, right, Doc, for a variety of reasons that had nothing to do with um, their sexual their sex life. For this. Well, why, beyond sexual function, why else would a doctor prescribe testosterone? So, um, in practice, and, and that's, I want to just like, well, and, and it's not sexual function; it's sexual yeah. drive. Okay, I want to I want to bold and right. That's important. Bold and underline the word in practice because this is where I struggle as a doctor because I was certainly raised as a physician in training as you know an evidence based a supporter of evidence based medicine, meaning following these kinds of exactly what you're reading, you know, large studies, or in this case, this is what sounds like uh, what we would call a meta-analysis, where yeah, they've, they've, they've aggregated a whole bunch of studies together. And I was always kind of raised on the power of, of, of practicing based on that stuff. But having now practiced for almost 18 years, I, I have found that you have to exercise some balance and a little bit of, you know, judgment, um, clinical judgment when it comes to being too fixated on the so-called evidence-based approach. And I'm kind of in a long, drawn-out way saying that um, you have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. And I don't think anybody who's listening is going to disagree with that. I mean, that's why we have so much other stuff out there, alternative medicine and supplements and just so many other things that are not necessarily based on pure evidence-based approach. um, medicine. But to answer your question, yeah, a lot of people, I'll have some people come in and, um, particularly, you know, in the second half of their lives and, and I'll ask them like, you know, how are things going with your sex drive? How about your energy level, your motivation in general? Vitality, um, right? Vitality. Sure. And, and, you know, not all, it's not like you would be surprised that, you know, maybe you would think like everybody would say, Oh yeah, it's really dropped down. But not everybody says that, um, and uh, you know, I would say maybe twenty percent of people will say, "Yeah." I mean, aside from the sex drive and erectile function thing, they'll just say, "Yeah, my overall kind of I'm just sluggish in life. I'm not really driven to do anything. I've kind of just dropped off." And I'll say, "Okay, well, let's check a testosterone level." And um, and I'm pretty, I've become pretty aggressive about giving those guys a trial if they're low. Again, this is just my practice. Um, this is how I do it. So if they're, because testosterone, the, the range of testosterone is extremely wide and extremely arbitrary. And I'd have to look really carefully at what you just talked about in terms of whether they acknowledge this, that the normal range of testosterone in human beings is a really tough, hmm. 
tough thing to grasp because we don't really understand it. It's it's so wide in in, in range. We know it fluctuates. So per hold day. on, but, but I want to I want to clarify. So somebody comes to you, they're sluggish in life, and you think. That's why you you think that maybe they've got low T. I think it's reasonable to check it. Okay. And so you're right. I'm skipping. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm digressing. So if their testosterone is on the low end of the spectrum, I mean, obviously if it's super high, we're not going to start thinking testosterone. But if it's low, certainly if it's low, below the normal range, or it's just in the bottom 10 or 15% of the normal range, I'm going to tell the guy, listen, we can give you like a one-month trial. Just see if you respond to this. Give you an injection now and two weeks later and then come back in four weeks and we'll see what you feel. And those guys will come back and I will say that probably about, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to, you know, get them to respond to. But I'm just talking specifically about the people who are talking about the the low vitality stuff. So not all of them will say I, I noticed a difference. And what I always tell them is it's got to be substantial. This is it's very subjective. Okay. And, right. and, and I could be more, I could be more like, um, you know, rigorously scientific about it and like have them fill out some kind of questionnaire and a score or something like that. But I'll tell you something, all those questionnaires and scores, I think they lend themselves to, reducing the relationship you have. You end up treating these scores and these numbers and these questionnaires and not really knowing who you're dealing with. And there's a je ne sais quoi about just that face-to-face -face yeah, experience. Yeah, let me say it differently. When, when somebody's not feeling well, a lot of times they just want somebody to listen. Absolutely. And when you have somebody um, of your stature or other doctors of similar stature sit and listen to really what is going on, there's something therapeutic about that. And I think that is part of the healing process. It's, it's, but it's also, I'm going to go a step further and say, it's not just therapeutic. It's, it, it allows you to have that human element allows you to be a better treater. In terms you're, of you're going to uncover care. some subtle it's, elements it's, that they're going to say, yeah, I'm not sleeping so well. And that's, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, let's talk about that. So, so in but, any but, event, but people are also able to open up and unload their anxieties about things. And when somebody's sitting there listening to you, it just, it feels good. That's, fair enough. Fair enough. So, but, but you're, you're talking about, we're, 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 we're addressing something right now from totally different vantage points. I'm striving to find something that's going to be that's going to be, that's going to work, that's going to help, or if it's, or, or that it's not going to help. And I need to make a but, decision. But there's, there's something comforting right. when the doctor's truly listening and then, and going through your mind and your experiences to I, try I'm not to treat it. That. So I'm, that, that's, right. I'm just saying that that's part of the treatment. And it, 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 there, there, there's something about certain doctors that when you go in and they say, ah, nothing's wrong with you. And then, and then they move on to the next patient. I'm saying there's something very valuable I, I hear you. when you're, when you're able to talk to somebody who's credentialed and they're listening to you. Right. But in this case, we're, you're right. So we're, we're trying to decide, are we going to continue the testosterone or not? And that is the $64,000 question relating to what you've brought up, Jay, yeah. and what I'm trying to do in clinical practice. So this guy walks in and he says, and I will say to them, look, it's got to be substantial. It's got to be substantial because I try to really... I try to really drive home the point that if it's not, we're, we're making a decision here about going on some type of long-term therapy, some kind of long-term drug. 
in this case, testosterone, and I don't want to keep treating you if it's not making, if it doesn't have a meaningful impact well, or, on your but, life. Or if there's something else that's happening, which is, you know, it could be masking a greater or a bigger issue. And it's one of the things that's sort of buried in the study. I think that what they're saying is don't treat it for anything but sexual dysfunction or most likely because what they're, and that's actually a doctor from, uh, from your alma mater, Cornell, who was saying that doctors should look for the underlying cause of the declining testosterone. They're saying it could be heart disease. It could be a sedentary lifestyle. It could be overweight. Sounds it, like a Brady scholar. It could be untreated. Maybe it could be untreated diabetes. And this was my favorite quote. The doctor, it was Dr. Fish from the, How'd you pronounce it? The wheel? Uh, Wild. The wild. Sandy Wild was a big contributor financially to. So that's out, the so school of urology. The Wild School of Medicine now. Um, yeah. And he says the the penis is the dipstick of the body's health. So what he's saying is, if you're having a, I, I'm assuming what he's saying is, if you're having a libido issue potentially, it could mean maybe you've got some declining testosterone levels, which is because of other untreated issues like diabetes or maybe you're overweight and uh one more thing he talks about um, a drop in testosterone levels could be that they're exercising too much you're not getting enough sleep um, there's overweight issues your fat cells cause testosterone to turn into estrogen all and of these things are true but there's a little bit of a chicken of the egg here true right it's like are are you you know maybe you're so it's, it's like a cause and effect yeah yeah so it's like you know the guy has this creeping obesity and it's it's maybe got more when you're obese you get more estrogen formation and that could be inhibiting your testosterone production and so you might say to the guy look if you lose weight this is all going to get better except the problem is is that he got that way because he was either insufficient in testosterone to begin with or that's where he is now and it's really hard for him to lose weight because his testosterone's low. Right. So you give him some testosterone and he comes in and he's like, wow, that, I'm definitely feeling a boost. I want to go to the gym now. I want to exercise. And it's like life is short and you're going to sit around and wait for this guy to try to lose the weight and go on an exercise regimen when he's already sluggish. That's where these studies get me a little bit. I get a little cynical about them because then I'm like, it's not realistic. It's great when you're a researcher sitting in a, in front of a computer and crunching all these numbers. But didn't the like, article but also really say dealing with people and you're realizing that like, yeah, it's true. Maybe this guy, maybe he never had a low T and he just kind of gradually gra yeah, got but, obese but, and he started making more estrogen and he got lazier and lazier and it's really not a low testosterone problem. But the problem is you want to get him out of this he has place. It now. Yeah. And doc, to, with it now. But doc, to your point, didn't the article say that there's no long-term implications of being on the testosterone. Well, that is the question, right? So what is the, what so, are the long-term And this is what I tell my patients. Um, we do not want to, um, we do not, I always tell my patients, I am not going to treat you testosterone because it's going to have a direct relationship to you being healthier. I never, I always tell people that. In other words, by giving you testosterone, it's not going to like, you know, it's 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 the subjective benefits that you get that may give you objective um, positive outcomes. Do you follow me? Yes. If you're, it's not that giving you testosterone means that you're less likely to have diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, any of those things. No, by itself. Right. But it's an indirect benefit, right? If you get testosterone and you are 
now getting more sexually active. Instead of having sex once a month, you're having it like once every other day. Or instead of going it's to improving the gym, quality of life, in, that's instead what you're of going to at. the gym. Never. Now you're suddenly going three or four times a week because you're just more motivated. Those things have such positive outcomes in terms of your longevity and experience that to me, it's worth it to put somebody on, on the trial and see how they respond. If they come back in a month and they're like, it's making a huge difference for me. Then I'm like, okay, we should continue this. If they, and that this is, it's just a very human interaction that I try to have with them. Mm -hmm. So that is, I can there, really is there gauge. a long-term implication of being on the, on the drug there? The issue about being on testosterone replacement therapy that we know is that in a, in, in a small subset of people, it can cause their hemoglobin to go up basically a thickening of the blood. Hemoglobin is like the, you know, it's, it's like what percentage of your, of your blood volume is actually blood cells. And is that what that carries the oxygen to all over right, the body? Right, but it's too good. It's too much of a good thing. If you have too much if blood, too thick, too, if it's too thick, quote unquote, and it can't move through the then body. you get more, it's more viscous. You're more at risk for heart attack and stroke. So in a small subset, you have to monitor their blood, not in a small subset, in all patients, you have to monitor their blood count, make sure their hemoglobins aren't creeping up and getting too high that it's becoming, putting them at risk. If it is, you can either tell them to donate their blood or lo lower the testosterone or go off the testosterone. Um, there's also a very small subset that can get other side effects, like you were bringing it up before the show, they can get a little bit agitated and quick to getting upset. And so, um, those guys too, you know, you have to kind of lower the dose. Um, rarely it can cause one's PSA, which is the blood test that we monitor for your risk of prostate cancer. Can, it can go up, so we monitor your PSA. So what's the difference between, uh, you use the word hemoglobin, what's the difference between donating blood and donating plasma? I know that's sort of a non sequitur, but, yes. but, but, but what's, sort of. what, what's sort of the difference? Um, they're kind of the same in terms of like your experience. They're going to draw your blood. And when you, when you centrifuge blood, meaning you, you spin it down in a, in a centrifuge and, and you, you, you get two columns of fluid, you get this bright red column on the bottom of the, of the um, test tube. And then above that bright red, you get this kind of clear yellowish fluid, called, which is serum, which is essentially plasma, which is everything in your blood, but the blood cells. And so you can extract the plasma and just use that. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically what we're but talking about. Donating plasma is much more debilitating than donating blood. I, you know, I guess because in some, in, what they can now do is you can, at, in real time, you can... Yeah, I've um, done it. They, they you circulate can, it. You can, right, they can circulate it. It comes your, around. Right, so it takes can, longer. take your blood you, out. You've donated plasma, plasma. Yeah. JT? Yeah. I did it. You and can you can draw the blood out. It'll go into a machine continuously, right. and then extract the plasma, and then put your blood, your blood cells comes back, back in. in. Oh, so you're wow. basically not going to lower your hemoglobin. You're just going to take out the plasma, and it takes a lot longer. Mm. And it's more involved. Yeah, it took a few hours, but yeah, you know, it's very valuable to them, and I did it for somebody. Right. Um, so getting back to to this topic for a moment, um, I'm curious about. So someone does come in for the reasons that. The FDA is suggesting their libido is low. It's a male who's saying, hey, this is something I'm noticing in my life. You know, it's not major, but I'm, I'm sensing a difference. Um, testosterone seems like the first thing you're going to look at. 
in, in that particular case? If they're having those experiences? Yeah. It's not the first thing I'm going to, you know, you have to, again, this is where we get into like real practice versus a controlled study. You're going to talk to them. Yeah. When someone comes into me, most of the time they're not going to even, it's very rare. It occasionally happens that they bring this stuff up. I elicit it. I question them. I ask them about what's going on. How's your sex, uh, sex life, your libido, your erections? What about your kind of overall energy level, your, your joie de vivre, whatever you want to call that? More French. And, and, That's um, twice. And, how, and, and how does that compare to, say, even a few years ago, do you feel like you've been in, on the decline in any of these things? And if they say yes on, say, the latter categories, like the, the energy type stuff, I'm, for better or worse, being a specialist, especially, and, 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 and I always make sure that someone's under the care of a primary care doctor, but I, I'm going to assume that that primary care doctor has done their due diligence on checking things like thyroid function. And these are all the annual screening measures that they would take. Um, I will also send their primary doctor a note. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You assume or? I do, I do, I do, I do. Because I say to them, I go, are you getting your annual? I always ask people, are you getting your annual physicals with your doctor? Are they running all your annual tests? Um, and, and when they say, yes, I am, I take it on faith that they are with a competent primary care doctor. I'm not a primary care doctor, so I can ask them to see those tests. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I would be using my knowledge base from 30 years ago to evaluate all those other systems. I mean, I don't know the current thinking on like, how do you evaluate for thyroid dysfunction these days? There's probably newer tests than when I was trained. Mm -hmm. So I am taking it on faith that these other parameters have been, you know, that we live in in a world where we have a lot of subspecialties. And just because we're medical doctors, we do not have a command over primary care medicine. That's why you have primary care doctor specialties or, you know, whatever you want to call that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I mean, sometimes I will say that someone's feeling depressed or down or drawn out or whatever, and they, maybe they don't have a regular doctor. And so I'll say, you know, first things first, you need, we need to connect you with a regular primary care doctor and make sure that there's nothing else going on here. So I will sometimes tell people that Hmm. and refer them to a primary care doctor. I might check their testosterone because they're there, so I'll just draw it and and send it. But it would be kind of disingenuous of me to say, well, let me check all the other stuff and make sure there's nothing else going on because that's not really... Uh, you your know, forte. I that's not my forte, mm-hmm. and and it would be it would be disingenuous. So, um, what was your question? If it's a woman coming in with similar complaints, so s- women are trickier because again, it is not some. I would I would feel comfortable having a conversation about low libido and that kind of stuff, and and sending off some hormone levels per- because we know and we've talked in earlier episodes that actually. Surprisingly, um, the most potent sex hormone in women, believe it or not, is testosterone. It's just at one tenth the level it is at men, but of men. So if she has a very low testosterone level, I'll talk to her about testosterone replacement therapy. It'll be a very, very low hmm. uh, supplementation, uh, but as a possibility there. Um, but beyond that, I'll definitely want to get her, uh, gynecologist or her primary doctor involved in terms of whether or not there are other things going on. But I would, 
assume, maybe incorrectly, that if a patient is coming to you with a low sex drive, um, wouldn't more likely be a man than a woman? Yeah. Would, would a yeah. woman be talking no. to her primary care doctor? Yeah, no, it's very, no one comes, no woman comes to me for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very rare, or it's usually something that I elicit. Remember, I've said that many times. I There's a lot as doctors, and I think a lot of doctors drop the ball here, that we need to elicit. In other words, we have to probe and ask about certain things because otherwise they're just never going to come up. And, and invariably, um, people will come to me, I mean, 90% of the time that I am eliciting these uh, complaints about sexual dysfunction, low energy, or things like that, they haven't talked about it with anybody, not with their primary doctor, nobody. And invariably, it's, an, it's a significant issue, but it's just it's, no so one it, it asked really them. really should have come up with the primary. No one's asked them. But, yeah. but, but, but it's about... It's tough d- as a primary doctor. You're going to ask like a thousand, I mean, how many, how wide and broad can you go and how much time do the doctors have that's why it's so valuable to find that doctor that will take the time right and and that's why even though you may end up in the waiting room um there's a reason why you're in the waiting room and it could be because the doctor is taking a whole lot of time uh with the patients not just over not just overbooking it's it this is a totally different topic i'm going to go off topic for a second but it's the dollars and cents of practicing medicine these days. I changed my practice, as you guys know, a year and a half ago. And the practice I came from before, where I am I'm now basically a solo guy, which is we're a dying breed. The practice I was in before, we had a lot more managed care. So I was seeing like 35 people a day, sometimes more. So I didn't wow. have time to really do much other than just nod and say, what's going on? And then jump out and go to the next room. Now I'm seeing like 15 to 20 people a day. How am I able to financially do that? Because each person I see, because I'm spending more time with them, I'm kind of eliciting, I really, that's like the term of the day, more complaints, more issues. And what happens when you elicit more complaints and more issues? You end up, frankly, running more tests and doing more ancillary services to, to either diagnose them or treat them, right? And so arguably, I am generating more revenue per person in this practice setting than I did a couple of years ago, and that's how I'm able to maintain this. Now, I think I'm being a better doctor, and I think the patients who see me think I'm being a better doctor, and I think that the, and and, and this is where it gets really tricky in the modern era, because what's going to happen at some point is I'm going to get dinged by somebody, insurance or some overseeing body is going to say, hey, Dr. Hyman, we looked at uh, Dr. Smith down the road. You know, that guy's seeing like 35 people a day and his, on average, you know, his patients come in and it's only incurring Medicare or the insurance like $75 a visit. But your patients, you're seeing half the number and you're incurring charges of like $180 a visit. What's the deal? And I'm going to say, well, I think I'm providing better care, but I am incurring more charges because I'm doing more stuff. Mm. Um, and so someone's going to criticize me for it. I'm sure it's going to come. Do you ever see somebody and just say, you know what? You're worrying too much. Everything's fine. All we, the time. We said that to you this morning, GP. <laughs> <laughs> no, all the time. I mean, I get, uh, you know, people come in all the time. The classic is the guy who comes in and says, you know, I've got this, this, I think I've said this before, you know, I've got this, uh, 
this huge, you know, rash or this, this, uh, growth on my penis and i'm like okay let's uh let's take a look and all there is is like this tiny little freckle there and i'm like honestly this is a, are you sure because i i don't remember seeing that before and i'm like well how close have you been looking you know it sounds like <laughs> you're really focusing on this she's like well i did have this sexual experience with a prostitute a month oh, ago geez. and I, I i've been very nervous that i contracted something and i'm like well, I think what happened was you got very anxious after that experience and you've been really going through every square millimeter of your skin on mm -hmm. your penis and you found something that was probably always there. How common is it that your patients admit to you that they've seen a prostitute? Yeah, not that uncommon. I was going to, you know, I definitely was uncommon. going there as well. Like, yeah. And pardon the pun, but how many times do you have that sort of prophylactic visit where people come in just out of fear of a one night situation they had? Not that uncommon. Once every couple of weeks, they just want to work up, up to make sure things are things are working smooth. Yeah, they'll or they'll just say, "Can I? Can you run a run some tests? Yeah, like an STD panel or something like that." Hmm. It's it's not that rare, but um, yeah. So I mean, that's the business side of it, you know. And 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 I worry that I'm going to get when I say dinged. I mean, I, I could get. I don't know. Like an insurance could drop me. They could say, like, "Look, we're not going to contract you anymore because you." you incur so much uh, cost, um, you know. The flip side is that I get a lot of people who say to me, like, God, nobody is as comprehensive as you are. You just never, you don't let anything drop as far as, like, all the urological things. And I, and I say, yeah, that's the way I want to be. I want to be that kind of doctor who just doesn't let anything fall through the cracks. You're the type of doctor I want to see. <laughs> I'm the doctor I want to see too, but like I said, it depends on your perspective. There, I, as I've always said to people, I serve many uh, yeah. people. You know, it's like I serve my patients, but I also serve Medicare. I serve Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and all these other insurance companies. They're all my quote unquote customers in a way, and I have to be mindful of all of them. And so, your you wife. know, What's that? Your wife. And my wife, right. <laughs> but, but it's important. Even my primary care physician, and we've talked about this in the past, I pay extra because I want that additional care. Right. I want the thought process right. behind the diagnosis and, and, and what the different alternatives are. And I want the opportunity to spend time so I have a, a full and complete understanding. And that's important to me. Right. And your doctor is able to take that time because... She, her income is being supplemented by correct, which is fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with correct. that. It's just the, the state of our healthcare system. So That's interesting anyways, this was a very interesting topic. So thanks guys. And, uh, happy new year again. And, uh, Look forward to uh, a, a year of a, a new decade of two men and a doctor. And if yeah. you want to see, <laughs> wow! And if you want to see Dr. Hyman, the link is in the show notes for all of that thoughtful time he's going to give you. So uh, I recommend that. Thanks, come guys. On. Yeah, come on down. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the time, and we'll uh, we'll talk again next week. Yeah, take care of that back, doctor. Yes, sir. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. 
We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.